Well, good morning, everyone. What a blessing. We, we do have such an awesome God. Words fail. We'll be in Genesis chapter 19. Really looking forward to this morning. Really looking forward to the word that God has for us. And he is so good. He is so faithful. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that we can look upon you with eyes of faith and see that you are awesome in all your ways, that you give us uh, beauty for ashes. You give us joy for mourning. You, you transform us. You change us. Thank you that you are a glorious God. We see the, the powers that be in this world that are destructive, that ruin. But Lord, you give life. You change people for good and for your glory forever. Just thank you for the work that you do in our hearts. Thank you for your love poured out through us, uh, poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we draw near to you as you have drawn near to us to behold you, to glorify you, to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible's filled with so many examples of problems that arise when we do not seek God, when we do not trust God. Think about Joshua. He was fooled by the Gibeonites. They posed as travelers from afar and they had these old clothes and tattered rags and he looked at their moldy bread and their, their uh, broken wineskins. Oh, they must be from a far country. But they were actually neighbors and God had said, do not enter into covenant with your neighbors and they did. He didn't seek the Lord and uh, King Asa, he was diseased in his feet. The Bible points out that he sought the advice of doctors, but he didn't seek the Lord who could have healed him. Naaman did. The Syrian, he came from afar to seek healing in the Lord of Israel. In the early church, we have Ananias and Sapphira. They colluded with one another to make a secret ingredient. Oh, we're going to give of the proceeds, but under the guise of giving all, we're going to hold back some for ourselves. It's a strange contradiction that we believe in God. We believe that he exists. We know he's almighty. He does and knows everything. And yet at the same time, we forget to seek him. We forget to trust him. We forget to include him in our plans or bring, like bring our troubles to him. We just forget. We get swept up in our feelings and emotions and how overwhelming everything is. And we forget God. Now in our passage last week, God's mercy was shown in delivering Lot and his family from the overthrow of Sodom, the cities of the plain, and our practice is to teach through the scriptures. That's something I think is really important. I believe that Proverbs 30 verse 5 is true that says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. That the Bible is full of relevant passages for our learning. They give us examples sometimes of what to do, sometimes what not to do, uh, and these are relevant examples for our learning, even when they are confronting. I'm surprised as I was going through this study that there are several Bible commentators that I would respect who, who just glossed over the part of this passage as if it didn't exist. They're like, moving on, just kind of skipping verses. I'm like, hold on, you've gone verse by verse until now, and now you're just going to skip things. And one even said, I, this is kind of like the fifth leg of a cow. It's a bit unnecessary, but I'll touch on it. <laughs> really? This is God's word. Like this is really important. And there's so much that we can glean from it. I don't want to gloss over what God has said 
Because God's recorded it for our benefit. Even those who are made righteous by faith in God have done and do what is shameful. And that's what we're going to discuss today. And we can struggle. We can struggle to reconcile. How can someone with real faith, genuine faith in God, still make a foolish choice or a series of choices that lead to, to shame and destruction? And praise the Lord, we don't, have to be sh- we don't have to be slaves to shame. We don't have to be slaves to sin because Jesus has come and he has come to set us free. So today is the day of salvation, forgiveness, healing, and assurance of hope that we have in Jesus. Starting in Genesis 19, verse 30. It reads, Then Lot went, up, from, went out, up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Lot was led by the hand out of Sodom. He was directed to escape to the mountains. They said, flee to the mountains where you'll be safe. And he said, no, no, Lord, please. Uh, let me instead go to this little city. Isn't it a small one? I'll go to Zor. And ironically, he didn't stay in that city. He said, let me go to Zor, which means insignificant, but he didn't stay there. God spared that city at his request, and we're not told why he left. We don't know why he left the city. Maybe he discovered that the, sa- the city was rife with the same sins that were in Sodom, and he was really traumatized by what had happened, how the city was completely destroyed and overthrown, and he's having flash, he's remembering, like he's finding a people that are shameless in their sin, and there's no repentance, there's pride, there's the same issues here, and so he's like, wow, I'm not staying here anymore. The passage says plainly he was afraid to live there. So he left and they lived in a cave. And I, am, I feel for Lot because he was really struck with sadness at the passing of his wife, the total destruction of Sodom, his home, the loss of all his property and goods, uh, losing his neighbors, his servants. I mean, he, he lost really everything except God. But in that moment, he was grieving. He was mourning. He was afraid. And maybe the city, he could see the destruction. And he didn't want to be reminded by that all the time. So he's in a cave. Verse 31. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she laid down, Or when she arose. So given their secluded location, their prospects of marriage seemed very slim. The daughters discussed what to do. Notice they don't talk to their dad about their concerns. They don't talk to God. They just talk to each other and say, we've got a problem. We're the only ones left. How will we continue the family line? Now, why they didn't include God, I don't know. Why they didn't speak to their dad, I don't know. But they decided to ply their father with alcohol and sleep with him to preserve the family line. And the law had not been given, but we know that the daughters knew that their dad would not be on board with this because they felt like they needed to um, intoxicate him, to take advantage of him. They had come out of Sodom, but the influence of Sodom remained. Matthew Henry said this, Lot, who kept himself sober and chaste in Sodom in the mountain when he was alone, 
And as he thought quite out of the way of temptation, shamefully overtaken. Drunkenness is not only a great sin in itself, but it is the inlet of many sins. Like Noah before him, overindulgence in alcohol, it preceded shameful sin that could not be undone. Verse 34, it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So the sisters, they conspire to intoxicate their father, to subject him to what's rightly called sexual assault or rape today. And their perspective, it it was skewed. It was corrupt, as if they were doing this for the good of the family. Um, But like when Abraham, he went into Hagar, right? He didn't seek the Lord. They go into their father. They had not sought the Lord. They didn't seek his guidance. Lot was totally unaware of what happened at that time, but a year later, he's got two kids running around. Um, Moab, which means of his father, and Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. And these would grow to be the Moabites and the Ammonites that were enemies of Israel, the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Think of Lot and his daughter, daughters. They did these shameful acts. They're not alone. People can feel shame over what they have done. That people can feel shame over what has happened to them because they've been violated and victimized through sin. And shame, it's more than just regret. It's humiliation. It's distress caused by those choices. And Paul, he exhorted Christians in Ephesians 5.12. He said, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. He says, don't have fellowship with darkness. You're of the light. Walk in the light. Don't have fellowship with wickedness. There are things shameful to speak of because they are sinful and we're all guilty of having done them. We can't go back and change what happened. Sometimes we're ashamed by sin that we continue to commit. We can justify feelings of shame because yes, the the act in itself is sinful and our heart was wrong. And we feel almost like hypocrites to receive the grace of God and his forgiveness because we ought to pay. There's that feeling. You have that feeling that someone else should pay because they did something wrong. Well, we can have that feeling toward ourselves because of what we've done or what's happened to us. Realize beloved of the Lord, Jesus came He came and died to atone for our sin, to remove our guilt and shame. I love what Isaiah 50 verse 6 says. It says, of Christ, of our Messiah, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Jesus did not hide from shame. The reason why he came to earth was to atone for our sins, to free us from sin that's destructive and deadly, to release us from a prison of shame that we deserve, bondage we deserve. He's come to free us by his grace. 
And in light of the atonement provided on Calvary, we ought not to justify wallowing in sin or shame that we have repented of. The reality of receiving the forgiveness of the Lord and his healing, it restores in us a heart that praises him and is grateful for what he's done. Now, one thing we haven't discussed is the impact of this upon the children, right? They were really the innocent victims of this scheme. Um, They were sired by the man who should have been their grandfather. Now, God's the author of life. He brings conception. He chooses to do that. And I don't know if these kids felt shame about their family tree if they went to school and they had to try to explain who their dad was in relation to them and, and things got a little uncomfortable. They would have keenly felt the lack of a parent. They were wounded likely by what had happened, the consequences of sin. But for all who turn to God as their father, there is healing. There is hope there when there are things that have happened that are completely out of your control. God's able to remove our shame and redeem it for good. Do you remember Ruth the Moabitess? Moab, Moab, Moabitess. She's from the line of Lot. She went back to Israel and married Boaz, who was the father of Obed, Jesse, King David, all the way to Jesus Christ. So from that line came Jesus. So he is able to redeem a a sin and to redeem it for good. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that because we're close to it, because we're feeling pain. But God can bring life from death. Parents and children, we all make mistakes. What's considered shameful is often hushed up. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address it. We want to ignore it. But silence does nothing to remove shame. Our only hope of healing and restoration is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 61, verse 3, it says, Our Messiah has come for this purpose, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The grieving, the mourning. It's like, why should I hold the ashes of my shame and justify mourning perpetually? Be burdened when God shed his blood to make this divine exchange possible. It's like, I'm going to give you joy for your mourning. I will give you beauty for those ashes by his grace. Genesis 20, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So soon after the overthrow of Sodom and the plain, Abraham moved from his place and he was dwelling by the palm trees of Mamre and he goes to Gerar. It's a place that would later become an area inhabited by who we call Philistines. So Gath, Eshkelon, that area near the Mediterranean. Now this sounds like a very familiar story. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham did the same thing. He said, she is my sister when she was more accurately his wife. 
So when he said, she is my sister, Abimelech, the king, he sent and took Sarah. Now, Abimelech is a little tricky because it's a name of a person and also of a king. Kind of like Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. There were many Pharaohs. Well, there were many Abimelechs as well. And Abraham, a man of faith, a man who trusted God and received his covenant, he falls back into an old sin of lying. He lies about his relationship with his wife. And he endangers his wife and his future son by this lie. God had made this promise. Out of you, I'm going to make you a great nation. And out of your wife, Sarah, she's going to bear you a son. And now his wife is taken by this king. This shows that we can have a, a real relationship with God over many years and still spiral back into sin. Repeat those sinful patterns of unbelief, lying, thinking, and doesn't justify us sinning, but it's a warning we ought to heed because we're no better. We also fall into the same trap. Genesis 20 verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Abimelech has a dream. And in this dream, God's like, you're a dead man. It's like, whoa, that's a pretty confronting, sobering message. And he seemed to know exactly what woman God was referring to. He didn't say, well, what woman? He knows it's okay. It's Abraham's sister, as far as I know. But he hadn't done anything. He just brought her into his house. He had no ill intentions. And, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Suggesting that perhaps he had heard or seen the overthrow of Sodom. And he's like, are you going to do that to us too? And we're, I have done this in integrity, uh, not knowing that it, was, that it was a sin. Now this word integrity, it means cure, a pure, blameless, or complete when we speak of structural integrity, it's like the outside is free of cracks. And that means the inside as well is solid. It's, it's secure. It's, it's consistent inside and out. A person of integrity is honest inside and out. The, they will speak what is what they believe to be true. Uh, they will admit they are wrong. So a person of integrity, even when they sin, they will admit they have sinned. They will have an agreement with the inside. They have a conscience that's been given to them by God and they bring that in, into the light and say, yes, I have done what's wrong. Had Abraham said of Sarah, she's my wife, Abimelech would not have taken her. But because he said, she is my sister, that was something very common in those days that you would, um, through marriage or through connections of family, have, have uh, another connection uh, and strengthen your hold on the area. And he's like, yeah, she, she said, he's my, my brother and my sister. How was I to know? And God said, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
So his integrity, who did it come from? God. God intervened and, and he acted with integrity in this case. So his integrity came from God. Yeah, I did that. If Abimelech had slept with Sarah, he would have sinned against God through adultery, even if he didn't realize it. See how sin leads to sin? The lying, the deceit, it could have led to him sinning and not even knowing he was sinning. But God told him to restore Abraham's wife. Otherwise, it would cost him his life and everyone he had. So God's plan was going to come to pass with or without the obedience of Abimelech. God was going to accomplish it. God protected the marriage of Abraham and Sarah and also his promise, the covenant he had made. And he could be delivered from death by returning Sarah to her husband and the prayer of Abraham for him. See, God's not looking for opportunities to destroy people. He's seeking to redeem people, to save people, to deliver them from sin that brings death. He wants us to turn from the old sins that we know about and even the sin that we're unaware of that he brings to light so that we would respond in obedience to him. And the irony is, Abraham's the prophet, yet God's speaking to Abimelech like a prophet. Right? He's having this dream, he's having a conversation with God so that there could be restoration and good fruit and peace. Verse eight, so Abimelech rose early in the morning called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. We see faith in God demonstrated here by Abimelech that Abraham did when God told him to be circumcised, right? So that very same day, he did that. Well, God revealed himself to, to Abimelech in a dream. And that next morning, he calls everyone together. He tells them, and they're, they're like afraid. They didn't laugh it off. They, they were like, this is serious. And it reminds me a bit of the inhabitants of Nineveh when Jonah cried out, yet 40 days and all Nineveh will be overthrown. The people clothed in sackcloth, they, they didn't eat or drink or let their animals eat or drink because they said, maybe the Lord will be gracious to us and preserve us, save us. So th there's this faith in God in an unexpected place and obedience in the fear of God in a place where Abraham didn't believe that they even knew of God because God's able to reveal himself. So he asks him some pointed questions, doesn't he? Unlike Abraham, who carefully kept the truth concealed in a lie, he asks him some very probing questions. He says, what have you done? How have I offended you? You've done deeds that ought not to be done. What did you have in view? What were you thinking? Abraham is presented with an opportunity to tell the truth, to repent. He doesn't do it well, does he? He first, he admits, I assume the worst about you guys. I didn't think there was the fear of God here, right? So he judged them. 
There's no fear of God in this place. You're certainly going to kill me on account of my wife. So it was fear for his own safety that prompted this deception. He told only part of the truth with an intent to deceive. And that's a sin. That's a lie. And as he's backpedaling, he justifies saying, well, it's, it's actually pretty true because she is my half-sister. She just happens to be my wife as well. <laughs> and then he shifts the blame, notice, upon God. God who's caused me to wander every place I've gone. And the word wander, it's not put in positive light in the scripture, which means to err, stagger, or go astray. Wasn't God with him? Hadn't God provided for him? Hadn't God been with him every step of the way where he says, I'm going to show you, go to the land that I'm going to show you. Because he's with him. He's guiding him. He's directing him. And he's like, yeah, God's caused me to wander. It's been tough. And finally, he appeals to tradition. He's like, well, this is what we always do. We just made a, a, a rule many years ago that wherever we go, this is what we're going to say. Four reasons, none of them good. And we can use these same excuses to this day. We don't tell the truth because we're afraid of what can happen to us. We're afraid of what people might do or think of us. We don't consider that all of our words are spoken before God who knows our hearts and weighs our motives according to the measure of his righteousness. And we justify lying because we've technically said something that's true in itself, but our motive was to deceive. Self-serving, not God-honoring. And we can shift blame to God for our faults or appeal to our habits or long-strained traditions. Well, this is just how I am. This is just something I, a decision I made a long time ago. <laughs> Abraham would have been much better to apologize and, and have no excuses. Just to say, I've sinned against God and you by my deceit. I am sorry. I wasn't trusting God at all. I wrongly judged you. I didn't believe that God could protect me or my family when it, it's evident that he has. Think about David when he was called out by Uriah, about Uriah the Hittite and that sin. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. That was it. He didn't talk about his, his marital strife. He didn't talk about this or that. He just said, I've sinned against God. He recognized that his sin was against God. As I was studying this, there was an incident that came to mind back when I was an apprentice the apprenticeship coordinator called me, and this was kind of like the, the doorkeeper to the union. And he said, hey, do you, do you know where your brother's been working lately? And I was like, I knew where my brother's been working. And he'd been working outside the union zone. But I felt like if I said anything, I'd be daubing him in. So I just said, oh, I don't know exactly where he's been working. Because frankly, I didn't exactly know. But I knew he was outside of the range, right? So... All these things are going on in your head. You're like, I'm thinking about my own career. I'm thinking about my brother. Should I get him? In, you know, am I going to get him in trouble? Why is he asking me these questions? So my brain is just going. Like, we've all been there, I think. So I said, I don't know. And I hung up the phone, and I was so convicted by it. I was like, oh, that's a lie. So I called back, and I apologized, and I confessed. You know, I, I do know my brother's been working outside of the zone. And he's like, thanks for your honesty. I'm like, that's ironic since I just lied to you minutes ago. And he's like, I already knew that you knew. I just wanted to see what you were going to say. Whoa, okay. So if you know, it, it just made me think, if you knew the other party knew the truth, why would you lie? Like if I knew that the person I'm talking to was fully aware of what I know about the situation, he's just testing me. 
is it right to lie? Well, it's never right to lie, but especially you just see the folly of it then, right? When you're talking to the person who actually knows the answer and they're just testing you. Since all of our words and deeds are seen before God, we ought to speak the truth without deceit. He knows he's the one that we offend by our sin. We can't fool God. The fear of God keeps us from sin. The fear of God moves us to obedience like we see Abimelech and his people where he's gathering them early in the morning and discussing what's happened and saying, guys, we need to take action because God has spoken. We're going to obey him. So in an unexpected place, Abraham found people walking in the fear of God better than he was. When we're self-righteous, this is always true. Genesis 20, verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. King Abimelech returned Sarah to her husband. In addition, sheep, oxen, male and female service. And he said, hey, here's the land, my land. It's, you can settle wherever you want. It's all, wherever you want, it pleases you. Interestingly, the king of Sodom, remember when he offered Abraham all the spoil? of the kings of the north. And he said, no, I'm not taking a shoelace from you. I'm not taking a sandal strap from you because I have lifted up my hand before the God of heaven. Well, in this situation, he did not have the spiritual high ground to be able to stand there and reject this because he had not been walking in the fear of God. Abimelech was demonstrating the fear and obedience to God more than Abraham was in this case. In spite of God revealing to himself, revealing to Abraham that he is the Lord, he had called him, he had made a covenant with him, he had provided and protected him for decades. In receiving from the king, Abraham is honoring and recognizing Abimelech as doing what was right. See, he didn't want the king of Sodom to believe that he had enriched him in any way. Now, he is humbled to receive these goods because it, it makes Abimelech, he's like complimenting him, saying, you did what's right. And so now I must receive from you, which is interesting. And then he addresses Sarah. Notice what he calls Abraham. He says, your brother, a little tongue in cheek there. I'm giving this to your brother, wink, wink. Uh, I've given you, I've given him a thousand pieces of silver, a covering for any offense. You know, you retain your honor. The King James, it puts Genesis 20, verse 16 like this. It says, and unto Sarah, he said, behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and all other. Thus, she was reproved. See, in ancient times, it was common uh, for married women to be veiled. A married woman would be veiled. That was something that was very physical. So the lie of Abraham and Sarah was not just with their words, but in appearances. The way that she dressed, she was saying, I am an unmarried woman. So she wasn't just saying, they weren't, it wasn't just like inquiry. So who is she to you? There was something you could see. 
And so it's almost a bit of tongue in cheek. Have your brother buy you a veil. Tell the truth next time. (laughs) A thousand pieces of silver would uh, probably buy a pretty nice veil. So Abimelech reproved or he set Sarah right and then he sent them away in peace. And notice in verse 17 and 18, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Abraham prays, God heals Abimelech. God heals his wife and his servants because they were barren and unable to conceive during that time where they stayed together. They were suddenly barren and unfruitful. Sarah comes into the house and there's no conception. And Abraham, he holds no grudge against Abimelech. He prays to God. God hears him because his righteousness is not because he's a perfect man, but by faith in God. He, and Abimelech goes from being a man who's a dead man, like God's like, you're a dead man, to being, you know, there's now life in his household. New life, conception, there's fruitfulness. There's peace with God and with man that was not there before. See, the prayers of the righteous, those who trust in God, they are effective. Job, he was accepted by God and he prayed for his friends. Miriam, she was healed of leprosy when Moses cried out to God for her. Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God heard that prayer. God heard the prayer of righteous Abraham and responded by healing Abimelech and his household. God answers the prayer of Jesus by providing that forgiveness of sin, salvation and eternal life to all who believe in him. That's a prayer God hears. And you may think there's part of us, that justice where we go, it seems like Abraham's getting away with this and he's getting benefits, right? He has all this new stuff now. But no, that's, that's not true. No one gets away with sin because the atonement for us has been provided by Jesus. He paid in full for everything. Praise the Lord that he lives now to intercede for his people. So, takeaways. Lot's daughters, they conspired to sexually assault their father. Abraham and Sarah, they decide to lie about the nature of their relationship to conceal their marital status. It's like every time that we could say, I have made this mistake in, with a pure conscience, like a, an, in the integrity of my heart, I've done this, the purity of my hands. I think for every time that's true, there's probably a hundred times where we knew that we did the wrong thing and we did it anyway, right? We've chosen to do what's sinful, what's shameful. But praise be to God that we're not chained to our sin anymore. We're not chained to this shame that correlates with it whether it's past or present because God is able to save to the utmost all who come to him in faith. There's healing and restoration that we see in Abimelech's household. That's possible for those who come to Christ in faith. We're not doomed to a legacy of sin and shame because of what Jesus has done. See what Proverbs three says. Why don't you turn there? Proverbs 3, verse 34 and 35. Proverbs 3, 34, 35. This is what it says of our gracious God. It says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. 
The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. The fool is the one who hears the words of Jesus and does not respond in obedience to them. The wise is the one who hears what Christ says and obeys, just like Abimelech did in um, giving Sarah back to Abraham. Jesus preached repentance from sin that we ought to love one another as he loves us. And you believe that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you of all sin and all unrighteousness. That he has made you a new creation by grace through faith. And in doing so, he is pleased to remove all guilt and shame when we repent and trust in him. God will exchange the shame of our past and provide perfect peace in him right now. It's like there's this glorious future that opens up to us through Jesus Christ. Not just removing your sin or what, because there, there's things that have happened that you cannot go back and change. But know that Jesus can change you. Know that he can make you new. He can make you fruitful once again. And I want to share a brief story where ashes were involved to illustrate the, in the life of a person. So there's this very sad portion where David's son Ammon was sick and he asked his daughter, so D David's daughter to come and bake him bread. And he raped her. And this is what happened. It says in 2 Samuel 13, 19, then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. So her brother Absalom, he picked up on all the signals of what had happened. Ashes on her head, mourning and grief. The tearing of that robe, that coat of many colors she had that the, the daughters, the virgin daughters of the king would wear. And he says, has my brother been with you? Hang tight. So she stayed with him. It says she remained desolate in her brother's house. What are ashes but the fine dust of what was? Something that was once beautiful, but now it's gone. Her prospects for marriage, her prospects for motherhood, her prospects for honor in that society, it was gone in a moment. And she's grieving and she's mourning and she is just troubled deeply. You know, I, I believe in the church and in this house, there are people like Tamar today. There are people who lament what they have done. They lament what has happened to them. And they are sad and desolate. And Jesus reaches out to you today. And he says, I will give you beauty for those ashes. I will give you joy for your mourning. And we want him to just take away our ashes. But he says, no, I'm going to give you beauty. I'm going to give you joy. Will you receive that from him? Because if we're grieving and we're mourning over sin and how it's affected us, rather than celebrating our savior and how good he is, he deserves that. He deserves the honor of being glorified and praised for what he died to accomplish by his grace. So let's not, let's not justify clinging to our shame clinging to our sin that God has, has come to redeem us from and the sin he has forgiven us of when we repent.
We don't deserve this divine exchange, but he has done it by his grace. Beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and God's able to offer this all of grace. Let's draw near to him now in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you know our needs and you, you feel our pain. You know that we are undeserving of your love and grace. And you know, you're a, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and more acquainted with it than we, what we will ever know. And you are able to feel deeply and personally. You are able to heal profoundly and to make what is barren, refreshed and new to take what is empty and, and fill us with your spirit, to give us fullness of joy and hope that's assured by your grace. And Lord, I pray that we would, by faith, receive that beauty, we'd receive that joy that you've provided, that our, our sorrowing over sin or sorrowing over what's happened that we can't change, Lord, it would, it would switch to glorifying and praising you. Lord, may the tears be tears of joy that we now shed because you have freed us, because you've redeemed us, because you have heard our prayers and answered them. And thank you, Lord, that you've known our needs even before we asked, and that you're able to supply them by your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would just do a healing, marvelous work among your people today, that we would believe you, we would trust you. We would be even as Abimelech, who heard the word and responded immediately. Lord, may we do so too. And I praise you, Jesus, for giving us new life, for giving us hope, for providing healing, forgiveness, a new life that we can enter into now by your grace. Lord, all glory and praise be unto you, both now and forever. Hold us close in Jesus' name. Amen.